Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back to Believe in Everything Auburn. I'm your host, Taylor Davis, joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Jason Campbell, ready to talk all things Auburn Tigers. We've got a win to break down, albeit just a little bit of controversy associated with this one. But uh, we're going to talk about it nonetheless. It's a win for Auburn, and we will take it. We're going to look ahead to the South Carolina matchup this weekend. We have another great guest for you, as we always do. One of Jason's former teammates, a former defensive end, Brett Eddins, and a bit of a comedic genius he is. So it's definitely a fun episode. You're going to want to stick around for the interview at the end. J-Cam, how you feeling, my guy? The the ending of that game kind of sent us all into a bit of a bit of a panic mode, yeah? Yeah, a lot of folks had a nervous breakdown, some hair turned gray, some people, you know, just passed out. Some people didn't know what to do. (laughs) It was definitely one of those type of plays that everyone's kind of like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, and uh, being at the game and uh, we was in the booth and guys was just like, hey, Jay, what do you think about this play? I said, well, guys, I said, honestly, that's a fumble. And, And Stan was just like, yeah. I know. <laughs> and, uh, and everybody was kind of just like, I hope we get the break because the refs blew the whistle. And I think that's the thing that saved us because when they went back and reviewed the play, they said that uh, because it was not an immediate recovery, that the place, the play would stay with the, stay with Auburn and we got a chance to kick the field goal. They called it intentional grounding because when you fumble the ball, you can't pick it back up and then ground the ball again inside the pocket. So, But what Bo made the mistake was he turned around and he spiked the ball and that becomes a live ball and a fumble. And that's why they always say guys continue to play through the whistle. And now yeah. fortunately for us and for both, everyone makes mistakes and he gets the opportunity to learn from this mistake with a win. Cause I couldn't exactly. imagine having to learn from this with a loss losing a game that, that way that would have sent shockwaves through him and probably would have hurt his confidence a lot because everyone knows if you play quarterback in the, in, in the state of Alabama, there's no NFL teams. You are like the rock stars. Right. And, and you would be on every media page and everything for, you know, for that blooper moment. But it could have happened to any kid because I don't think a lot of kids know the rule once you drop the ball when you're trying to spike it because it just usually doesn't happen. So right. it's a teaching tape, I think, went around the world. I think a lot of coaches in college and high school and maybe even pros have covered that play because it's something it's something that you don't see on the regular. Absolutely. I think this, you know, you, you prepare for situational football, but this is a situation you don't necessarily expect to happen that you're going to mm-hmm. fumble on a spike. Like that just, it, it's not something that you've got really in your wheelhouse as something you need to run through in practice. But I think it reminded everybody you can't, guarantee that these kind of things won't happen. It certainly was a learning lesson for Bo Nix, who, you know, a lot of people were frustrated with, but this, you're absolutely right, Jason, a a learning moment for him, a coachable moment for, for this staff that resulted in a win, not a loss. It's, we will certainly take that. But of course, this was met with a lot of criticism, a lot of debate, and the SEC released a statement in regards to the play that said uh, during the review, there is conclusive video evidence that the pass was backwards. However, because the recovery of the football was not clearly made in the immediate continuing football action, the ruling on the field was determined to stand under Rule 
1232E1, whatever. Both the determination of a backwards pass and the immediate clear recovery are required to reverse the ruling on the field. So I think that that kind of explains what happened. But look, there is a an element to football. There's an element to every sport that it is subject to human error and referees are human. And a lot of people are very frustrated with the officials and questioning their judgment. But look, in the game of football, there are going to be incorrect calls because we are all human. I I think football does a great job at eliminating the possibility of that with video review and all of the increased camera angles that we now have available. It's way better than a sport like gymnastics that is completely dependent on human opinion. So we're at least farther than that. But There will be situations where incorrect calls are made, and that's just the nature of it. And sometimes your team is going to benefit from it, and sometimes your team is going to be screwed by it. So it just so happens that Auburn benefited from this one. But look, it it was a freak play. It was a freak situation. Certainly disappointing that it was right there at the end of the game because then – Arkansas fans feel slighted. Auburn fans don't really feel that confident. There's just a lot of confusion around it. We're also going to talk about this with Brett Eddins, and Jason's going to give a little bit more insight from a quarterback perspective on that that specific situation. But regardless, Auburn got a win, and we're going to move forward talking about this one. Before we do, you know the drill. Got to tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. The wait is finally over. Football is back in all its craziness. And you might not be at the games this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Any of my friends that are betting this year are doing such a terrible job because there is very little <laughs> predictability this season. But that's what makes sports fun, right? From game spreads to totals, team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's also the online casino. Don't forget about that one. It never closes. So head over to betonline.ag today and make sure to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. So again, betonline.ag. Go ahead, sign up today. This was not uh, an easy game. I think a lot of it had to do with the weather elements. And Jason, I would love to get your input on this. This was a very ugly game. It was probably the hardest rainfall that Bo Nix has had to play in thus far. And clearly you, you rely a lot on the run game in situations like that. The pass game is very difficult to get to click when the ball is that is that wet and the field is that sloppy and guys are slipping. It's hard to get your footing. How do you think Bo fared given the weather elements of this one? Yeah, anytime you're getting ready to play in these elements, uh, we always call what we call the wet ball drill. And we do that during a week where the coaches would take a football, they would dump it in a bucket of water and let it sit for about 10 seconds. And then they would take it out and they would have the center snap the ball to the quarterback, have you to do, you know, rehearse drills with the running back with a wet ball, have you throw short passes with a wet ball and make the receivers have to catch it. And you would do like a five minute drill just going through the going through it. And uh, so that everyone would have a feel for for you know, for what the game may be like. And then the other right. thing is you change your cleats. Like you pretty much go from a, a half inch spike to maybe a full inch spike. And when you do that, yes, it makes your cleats feel a little bit heavier and you're kind of digging into the ground a little bit more, but you have to because you it prevents slipping and sliding. And right. when I thought about this game though, I'm almost happy that it did rain. And I'm going to tell you why, because the simple fact that, the first half, it forced Auburn to run the football. And when we yeah. ran the football, Tank was was 
man amongst boys at some point. Yeah. You know, this guy, I don't know if it was 100 yards after contact, but this guy was running pretty much like his coach, Carnell Williams, as a freshman at that same point. Like he was literally, you know, toting people and carrying them with him downfield. And then from that aspect, DJ Williams would come in the game and we would consistently run the ball. And I think by doing that, it helped our offensive line get into a rhythm where those guys was coming off the ball. They was getting great push and uh, we wasn't, you know, relying so heavily on the passing game. And we ended up going to halftime with almost 200 yards rushing. Right. And then you, at the second half, the reason I say this, I'm getting to it now, because at the second half, you know, we come out and, uh, and you know, we interviewed Gus at halftime. And they said, hey, you know, we'll continue to stick with the run and continue to, you know, control the line of scrimmage and and then get get into our offense. So, you know, I'm thinking at that standpoint, get into our offense, mean we're going to continue to do what we was doing, running the football. All of a sudden, we became pass happy. Mm-hmm. And then once we became pass happy, you saw us get away from the run game, and Arkansas found their rhythm, and they was going up and down the field. They scored on three consecutive drives and fought their way back in the game, took the lead. And it goes to show me that, man, had this been a dry game, we may not have leaned heavily on the run, and it could have cost the us the football game. At the beginning, exactly, because we got away from what we was doing so well in the first half. As soon as it dried up in the second half and it wasn't raining, we went directly to just throwing the ball too much. And Mm -hmm. I think that almost got us in trouble. And Arkansas ended up fighting back in the game. And like I said, put us in a weird experience at the end of the football game to have to win that game. So there's a lot of things we can learn from in this game. But if I learned anything man, I think we found out our offensive line want to run the football, and I think that's the best way of getting our team going. But don't go away from it just as soon as we have nice weather. We're just going to start airing the ball out all the time. You know, let's find a way to mix it up a little bit more. Right. I I thought that was strange. It was a little discouraging. I feel like both games prior to this, our second half showed improvement, and the adjustments made at halftime were positive. This was the first game that I felt like coming out of halftime, we regressed and we made steps backwards. And that's that's very discouraging because I do think they found an element that was working in Tank Bigsby. The guy was running like he had a purpose. He finished with 146 yards on 20 carries. And stats aside, I mean, the way this guy runs, the the caliber of running back he is, yes, his numbers were impressive in this, but you got to watch this guy to really see his presence on the field. He runs with anger and intensity. And I think that that's going to be a huge element to this offense. And I know that they want to have a more balanced attack than Auburn has had in the past. So obviously you want to reel in the past game, especially with guys like Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz that are out there and are very capable. But it just seemed like the more they were attempting that, the more success Arkansas was finding, like, why why go away or deviate from the very thing that was finding you success in worse elements? But I think that there there's room for improvement on the player side, but I also think there's room for improvement on the coaching side. And and that's not a slight to this staff. I'm not, uh, you know, taking anything away from them at all. But I think that this we talk so often about how preseason affected the players, but you got to keep in mind the lack of spring ball and things like that is hurtful to this coaching staff as well, because there is a lot of newness. And so I think that there's some kinks for them to iron out as well difficult thing for Bo was that the line was not really maintaining the pocket for him. He took three sacks and the line also allowed four tackles for loss. So not the best showing for this offensive line that we all know is is new and trying to gel together. It was not the best showcase for them. But 
you know, when you look to the pass game that they're clearly trying to get to click, Schwartz and Williams were the only two other than running backs who caught a ball. So Mm -hmm. the fact that in week one we saw all these guys being utilized and by week three there's only two guys getting touches is confusing. And, Jason, I want your input on this. We're not seeing the tight end involvement that we anticipated we were going to see, other than J.J., who's a freaking beast, but he's taking it out of the wildcat. It's not like he's on reception. So what are you seeing from this offensive attack that you like, but what are some things that you still think need to come together? Yeah, the things that I like is the point that we ran the football this past week. You know, that was something that was irrelevant the first two weeks. We had 59 yards, I think, against Kentucky, 30-some yards against Georgia. And then this week, we rushed for over 300-some yards. I think that kind of opens up some doors and gives a lot of confidence to our offensive line, especially that they're still fighting through injuries. Uh, we, we didn't know if we was going to have a hand this week, and he ended up playing. We ended up moving counsel over the right tackle a little bit, and I think it ended up working out well for him in that, in that position. But then I think about this, though. When we started to run the football, thing that concerned me a little bit was Seth Williams has been great for us. But there was two times on short passes where the ball hit him in the hands yep. on a short hitch, and he just kind of dropped it. But his mannerisms about it just kind of concerned me at that time because it was almost like he was frustrated. And and I want this, this offense to understand, like, guys, there is going to be games that – the run game is going to get off and the passing game may not be the same. And then there's mm-hmm. going to be games where the passing game get off and the run game is getting stuffed. We've already seen it, but we have got to be able to offensively from a standpoint is put this thing together and just say, Hey, whatever's going, we're rolling. But when my numbers call, I'll make every attempt to make every play that I can on a ball. And yeah. I just felt like there's two, there's two times that I was kind of concerned about that aspect when I saw it from afar and playing and playing football, you, you see those things and know it. And, and so that just concerned me a little, but the other thing is we're not spreading the ball around to our tight ends. I thought that's something that we talked about at the beginning of the season, uh, trying to scratch, put a stress on linebackers, put a stress on safeties by, by utilizing the middle of the field with these guys. And we have talented tight ends. I know Frazier is hurt right now. Um, but hopefully we get him back soon. Like I said, JJ, you know, he jumped hurdle a guy. You know, this is a humongous guy. And everyone across the SEC, especially at Auburn, are excited about this guy. You know, he ran from the Wildcat and uh, a couple short yardage situations, and there's no way you can stop him from getting a yard or two. Um, this guy is – He's huge, but he's a guy that I feel like we can involve him in the passing game. There's no reason we can't hit him out in the flats and make a small corner have to come up and hit him. Who wants to hit him in an open field? Right. And, you know, and these guys are tall. It's not like we have short tight ends. These guys 6'3", 6'4", 6'5". You know, one of them 6'7". So, mm-hmm. you know, we got to find a way to involve these guys within the offense because what I don't want to see happen, Taylor, is guys become stale. And what I mean yep. by that, they become stand-arounds and they start to become watchers. They watch mm-hmm. the play happen instead of feeling like they're involved in the game. So, and you're going to have to count on all these guys at some point during the season. So we need to find a way to keep them engaged within the offense. And let's find a way to feed some of these other guys the ball. And I understand, you know, Seth gets frustrated sometimes. He ended up having some big catches for us towards the end there. We caught a ball over the middle and hurled a guy. Um, But at the same time, you know, he's coming off that week against Georgia where he's probably still a little bit frustrated from that game. But things like that, we got to be able to move on. And we got to have mental toughness as a football team in these situations and understand like where we're trying to go 
and everyone has to be on board. Yeah, I I think those are excellent points. I noticed that in Seth as well. I actually saw a couple moments of of kind of frustration and attitude from Bo, and and that certainly is something that he has to learn to handle in game because he's looked to as the leader of this offense. His age is irrelevant, especially now that he's not a true freshman. There is an an aspect of leadership that he has to have at all times, and I think really good teams, even great teams. Something you always see regardless of circumstance is composure. And so if these guys start losing composure, if this was any team other than Arkansas, this game likely would have been a loss for Auburn because there weren't enough good things to finish the game. And you have to finish the game. And the only way you can do that in tough scenarios like this is with composure. So I think that's certainly something that this these guys need to hone in on. I totally agree. I, I would like to see them spread this out a little bit more, uh, find ways to get get these guys involved and and showcase the offense that we saw in week one, because it seemed so versatile. It seemed more balanced. And, and obviously when you lose personnel, that's a huge blow and there's external factors associated rain, et cetera, et cetera. But at some point, excuses don't matter anymore. And, and they become irrelevant because everyone's fighting through difficult circumstances. That's 2020. So this team has to find a way to put it together in a, in a more convincing fashion, but Want to swap to the defensive side of the ball and get your input on that? Honestly, Arkansas fans should be excited because I think this was the first time Felipe Franks uh, showcased what they were hoping they were going to be getting from the Florida transfer. Uh, It was one of his better games, which is not fun if you're an Auburn fan to know that we allowed that. But he was 22 of 30 for 318 yards and four touchdowns. This Arkansas team put up 437 total yards of offense. Now, obviously, our defensive front, our linebackers, they're making their presence known. They're filling in for very prominent guys that are out. My issue this week was with the secondary, and I think that we allowed the Arkansas pass game to click. Uh, open receivers, they were beat on routes. There were just some inconsistencies in the secondary. Again, the corners are, are without some prominent guys, but Zacoby McLean, Owen Papo, these guys are solid. These guys are pulling us through, and I, I don't want to discredit the defense because I think we're seeing some great things on that side of the ball. But again, certainly areas of improvement. What do you want to see them capitalize on moving forward? Yeah, well, I thought about this defense when I watched the game. Um, definitely Owen Papo and McClain, both was double-digit tackles. Uh, did a really good job of uh, getting to the ball and, and tackling. Uh, when I think about Kobe Wooten, uh, Kobe Wooten, he kind of oh, yeah. set the standard early in the ball game. You know, he got the early sack. Uh, he was getting some early tackles and everything. So I think guys was kind of feeding off him. We definitely missed Big Cat Brian in this game. And uh, we definitely missed, you know, our, our big guy, uh, KJ, uh, as well. You know, those you can tell because even though Owen and Pat, Owen and McLean did their thing, these are the two guys that kind of on the outside that do their thing while you had that guy in the middle controlling everything. So that had, that shows me that might have had a little bit to do with the disconnect in the passing defense this weekend because – KJ is the kind of guy that gets everyone lined up. And when you think about it, you know, this is Owen and McLean's first time in there together by themselves, and they're signaling to these guys. And and last week, Smoke Monday, you know, he missed the whole game pretty much. Right. You know, he, he got put out the game early in the game. And when I think about it, all these things, all these factors, I'm just like, man, you know, we got guys coming in and out on the defense side of the ball right now because there are so many injuries. And – and there are just so many guys that one week you think you got this guy, then all of a sudden Wednesday come and you be like, on the report, you don't have him. 
and then you're making another adjustment. So everything you just taught this past weekend, you got to reteach instead of moving forward within the defensive playbook. And my other thing is, from a linebacker standpoint, we did a great job tackling. The only thing that caused me concern was in the screen game, in the passing game, Arkansas hit their running back so many times out of the backfield on crucial third downs, and they were able to pick them up because they was outflanking our linebackers. And that goes to show me that sometimes that means Owen and McLean eyes was kind of getting caught in the backfield with the play action, and those guys were seeping out behind. All you need is a two-yard to outflank someone. And if you got speed like Arkansas had in their backfield with some of their running backs, you outflank a guy, you get a ball, get a guy the ball, that's five, seven yards easily coming out of the backfield. Right. So we just got to find a way to get better at that standpoint of not getting our eyes caught too long in the backfield on play action and, and find our guy, especially if we're man coverage. Uh, the other thing is I didn't think we got a lot of pressure this week um, from a standpoint of blitzing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that may have been by design. Uh, that they wasn't going to blitz as much because you have so many new guys in there and they didn't want someone to blow a blitz. And, you know, we have someone running wide open down the field. But these are things that we knew going into this season that we was going to have to deal with. One was depth, two was communication, and three was how well do we play without having a summer just like everybody else. We were all in the same boat. So, like you said, we can't make excuses because we're all riding that same wave right now. And – I think we're still fortunate to get out of this game with a win. I thought the biggest thing our defense did was late in the game, Arkansas got the ball. It was up 28-27. And on the first play first play that they got the ball, we caused them to get a five-yard loss on a run. And mm-hmm. then that kind of changed their play calling because I think had they picked up a yard or two, they was going to try that little play-action pass that they hit over the middle a couple of times on us on fourth down that they scored. And then the other one in the middle of the field. So I think that was going to be it for them is they could just get there, play fate, hit that guy again, game over because we don't have enough time. But yeah. that was a huge, huge play in our defense, getting that five-yard loss because we forced them to go three and out and gave us enough time to come down the field and be able to kick a field goal. I completely agree with you. I think that heading into this week, there's so much that can be taken away from this past weekend, and hopefully we see it kind of be executed. You know, I do work for the Panthers, too, and each week, you know, we've got these points of emphasis. Matt Rule loves to have specific two or three points of emphasis from one game to the next, and thus far in the season, what those focuses are, they literally show up in the stat columns improvements the very next week. I want to see that from this Auburn team. You don't want to just keep talking about the same issues over and over and over and barely see them chipping away at this. Like, let's have a couple practical points of emphasis that we are going to improve from one game to the next and check it off the next week. And I'm hopeful that that's the case. It certainly feels like an opportunity for them to do that as we face South Carolina this week. Now, This will be the first time that we have played South Carolina since 2014. This, I think, is a team that we've only played 12 times ever, if I'm correct. Hmm. So, could be a great opportunity. Obviously, we are going to Columbia, and uh, this team hasn't performed as well on the road as they do at home. But nonetheless, could be a great opportunity for us to kind of have a more convincing win after coming off a controversial win. Uh, The Gamecocks are doing a pretty good job of controlling games right now. They're coming off their first win. Granted, it was over Vanderbilt, but still a little momentum coming off that. The defense isn't necessarily the toughest, but it's, it's 
done really well on third downs. They've been very productive there. They get off the field in a hurry, uh, and the offense is grinding it out. They've done a great job with time of possession. So there are certainly elements to the South Carolina team that you have to key in on. They keep the ball for well over 34 minutes a game thus far this season. I think the offense, there's a discrepancy in these two offenses. I think even with our struggles, we've got one that's clicking a lot more than South Carolina's. Uh, But Colin Hill has only thrown one pick for them. So there is an aspect of efficiency on that side of the ball. So uh, Jason, what are some key points for you that this Auburn team needs to hone in on heading to the 11 a.m. or I guess it'll be noon Eastern time? kick in Columbia coming off the the question marks that they had to deal with against Arkansas well my thing is Taylor get off the bus ready to roll like totally. this is an early game like you got to come off the bus like you can't go into these games on a road like we did in Georgia where you're trying to fiddle your way in like mm-hmm. you're in someone else's backyard you have to come and make yourself at home and that's what we got to do early and often and the next thing for me is Special teams is the play that turned our game around against Arkansas. You know, Jordan Peters with the block punt in the end zone and, and we recovered it for a touchdown was actually the game deciding play because the simple fact that both teams on offense was kind of sputtering early in the Arkansas game. And then that kind of spun, especially at the downpour in the beginning of that game, that block punt helped us. So I think special teams is a big key because it also gave us great field position last week on a certain occasions when and, in the rain. So when I think yeah. about going on the road, our special teams can show up big for us. Gus has said this is one of the things that he's been had his hands more involved in. He said he's got he's totally away from play calling and he's just managing the game, but he is involved in the special teams department. So mm-hmm. that lets me know that we could see some some different things this year, special teams wise. That it, you know, there could be some fakes, there could be anything is up. So this is going to be a type of game where we're going to have to flip the game offensively. What can we do? Can we go into this game and run the ball against Gerard Robinson and Will Muschamp, who both was at Auburn and on staff with Gus at Auburn? And, you know, they're telling their guys, hey, you know, we need to get this game because they haven't beat a big opponent at South Carolina in the last two years. And the East is trying to play catch up. They're trying to catch up to the Western side of this division. And this is a critical, critical ball game for both teams, for us to keep our standard going before we hit our really tough stretch. And for them, they're looking at this. We got to get this game because we still got Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee. So, you know, it's just um, these are the type of games that that makes football fun, though. And both teams has a lot to play for. You know, it it makes the game fun. I think for Bo, you know, going on the road, uh, it's not going to be as a hostile environment as some of the ones he's played in. Uh, it's not going to be like the Georgia game, but it's still going to be on the road and it's still going to be some crowd noise. And I think just how, it's like you said a while ago, how does he control himself when things doesn't go well? Right. You know, can you control your mannerisms to a point that your teammates can still look at you and be confident? Because if you get so frustrated as a quarterback and these are things he's going to continue to grow and learn, your uh, your teammates are going to unravel. And then they're going to get rattled and then they're going to become frustrated. But if you can keep your composure, then your guys around you will keep their composure. And then the other thing is on third downs, can we stay on the field in third downs? Mm-hmm. Uh, and can we get off the field on defense in third downs? You know, we're still struggling in that department of getting off the field on third downs. And offensively, we've got to help these guys out because they are injury prone right now defensively for us. We got to stay on the field. And how we do that, I think you control the game by running tank, run tank, run deep yeah. day. 
you know, hit your play action pass, you know, get get people involved, hit some reverses and, and different things. Find a way to, to hit Swartz on some crossing routes. You know, everything doesn't have to be a reverse with him or a screen. You know, get him on some crossing routes. Get him in open space. Let's find ways to get the ball to the tight end. There's things we can do to maneuver this game, to make this game go our way. Absolutely. And, and I think it kind of goes back to what Fred Beasley said to us, that while you can utilize a variety of your backs, especially in different situations, somebody has to know that they're the guy. And I think after this past week, there is an element that Tank knows he's the guy now. And so I really anticipate his game to to just go to another level. I also want to see this offensive line really stand strong and give Bo more time in the pocket because I think that will aid in the composure that I feel like he's lacking right now. So hopefully we see all of that. And you're absolutely right. I think this game will, will have a huge reliance on third downs, also time of possession. I think that'll be an important emphasis because it's certainly an element to South Carolina's game that has been working well for them thus far. And also how we perform with that freaking rooster crowing the entire game because it is so annoying and I hope that they can just block that out because even watching it it's really annoying to listen to sorry to my South Carolina friends because I I do have some but golly I can't stand that but nonetheless this will be a great opportunity for Auburn to regain some of that confidence actually looking around today there are several websites that are picking South Carolina in this game a lot of betting sites and things like that so honestly I think at this point though until Auburn proves a little bit more, people are going to consider every matchup a, quote, trap game for Auburn. People viewed that in Kentucky, Arkansas. We've yet to really prove anything that is keeping everyone confident that Auburn can pull off a win. So I think people are going to be claiming this is a potential trap game as well. So it's up to us to change that narrative. Well, let's go ahead and welcome in our guest for the week. Like I mentioned, we have Brett Eddins, who's going to be joining us, give us a little insight, some defensive analysis. It's going to be a great interview, so let's bring him in. We are so excited to welcome in today former Auburn defensive end, a former teammate of our guy Jason. So everyone help us welcome Brett Eddins. Brett, War Eagle. War Eagle, how y'all doing? Great, Brett, since we got you on here, if everyone doesn't know, Brett is the comedian of the 2014. Um, <laughs> he could have been playing in movies as Will Ferrell, number two. I love when we have some of Jason's teammates because you guys get to kind of give us a little insight to that awesome 04 team. So I actually want both of you to answer this one for me. Brett, what was Jason like as a teammate? And then Jason, follow him up. What was Brett like as a teammate? Uh, as a teammate, Jason was great. I think it was um, – it's neat to kind of have a, a legit superstar quarterback that was so down to earth. And I think uh, one of my first memories of Jason, I got – I mean, I'm from Montgomery, grew up in Alabama. So I thought I knew country people. And then I got to Auburn and met this guy from Mississippi, and he started telling stories about Taylorsville and what he did growing up. And I was like, what? This, this is a legit country guy. But he, um, Jason was just a good guy. I mean, could be intense on the field, but he really was, as a teammate and a player, just really kind of a calming presence at almost all times. Um, he was always confident in what he could do and really got people to raise their game to get to his level without being uh, being really hard on people. So it was, he was fun to fun to have as a teammate. Great guy in the locker room and um, just a solid guy all around him. Always been happy to see Jason be successful, and he's one of those that you can you can pull for in any any level in life. Aww. Hey, Jason, your turn to say really nice stuff about me. <laughs> <laughs> you got to top that, Jason. 
Yeah, I got you go first. You have to say nice stuff, right? You can't say anything bad. He gets to go next. I'm just surprised you didn't say some of the words that I used to say in the huddle or some of the country words I brought with me from Taylorsville. <laughs> so, you know, we had a unique experience, but Brett was one of those guys that was Brett's type of guy to walk around the locker room with his stomach out and you thought Santa Claus came early. <laughs> and guys used to be like, hey, dude, can you cover that up, man? You make us look bad as a football team. Like, you don't even know if you're working out. Like, you look at Brett, you be like, dude, do you play football? Or are you, are you just playing dodgeball at, at someone's frat party, you know, but, but Brett was one of those guys that kept it like, he kept it level headed. He always had guys laughing and he's one of those guys on the team that, yes, a lot of us used to get a lot of accolades, but this guy right here was one of the guys that made our defense go. And, and the reason I say that is he always came up big when we needed him to come up big. He always kept those guys up front. Like, he would get serious when we were doing yachts drills. Brett would be serious at that time, and he would get those guys and those young group of guys like T.J. Jackson and Wayne Dickens and all those guys to come along, and him and Jay Ratliff was the leaders up front on that defensive line, especially after we lost Spencer Johnson, DeMarco McNeil, Reggie Torber, all those guys from the junior year that moved on to the league. Brett and Jay set a standard uh, for those guys to come behind them in that 2014. The biggest hit I saw him take, was, I mean, do was – in the 04 game, you know, that hit uh, that he put on put on LSU's quarterback to cause a fumble and we got the recovery was a big, huge play in the game. And they still play it on the stadium now in the highlights. So Brett's probably going to be around here protesting on the university about putting his uh, picture up on the stadium net. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been outside Jordan Hill's hair selling T-shirts with my picture on it, confusing people. Campaigning. Uh, that'll be good. Jason, you, of course, mentioned that memorable – hype-inducing LSU game, and of course that sack on Marcus Randall. So I've got to ask you about it, Brett. I mean, we've had Ricardo Lewis on this show before, guys that have cemented themselves with a particular play, and I think that that's a really unique experience. It has to be as, as an Auburn alum. What was that moment like? What was going through your head during that play, and what's it been like to see that play kind of stand the test of time? Yeah, that game was really interesting just because that week was so so unique. And, Jason, I think you'll probably remember, I think we had like one practice and then we were in mm-hmm. a hotel the rest of the time because of the hurricane. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we watched a lot of film and we just kind of kept feeling like we could we could get around the edge on them. And we came really close a lot. We probably could have had a bunch of sacks that game, but we were just one step too slow or maybe I was one step too slow to really get there. But – um <laughs> On that one play, they just they kind of shifted the tight end over there, I guess, kind of chipped me for some reason, and then get out on his route. And I think he went out on his route a little early and bumped the tackle, and I was able to come free. And in the moment, I thought it was really fast and athletic, and I wanted to get off the field, not get a penalty, and just get out of there, you know, move on to the next uh, next drive, get Jason them the ball so we could go down and put the game away. And when you see the clip now, it's kind of like, wow, that, that took a while. And so um, over the years, I've learned to really appreciate Carlos Rogers and Junior and those guys on the back end covering as long as they did. So I could get back there and make one play in, in five years at Auburn. But it was um, – it's neat to see it. Um, I think it's it's crazy how grainy the video looks now compared to what yeah. they have. So I was kind of dating myself. But um, it's neat, you know, I – I have some friends that like to bring it up and they all kind of have their stories about when it happened and how excited they got. 
it's neat to see it now. My mom reminds me I sit near my parents and every time they show it, she leans over to tell me that that was me. And I'm like, I, I appreciate it, mom. I, <laughs> I recognize my one play. Brett, you've come, you've come a household name, man. You know, like I said, it wasn't in HD back then. You know, it was in hell. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Someone told me the other day when I put out a post about the Arkansas game, we did the flea flicker, the first play of the game. Yeah. So somebody commented on my post and said, what archives did that come from? I said, gee, look at old fast. <laughs> oh, good times. Well, I, of course, want to get your input on everything going on with this program right now. But there's two guys in particular that I want to get your defensive analysis on, okay? One has come and gone, but so special, a generational player. So I want your opinion on Mr. Derek Brown. And uh, the force that he was at Auburn and also how he's translating to the league already. And then I also want your opinion on Kevin Steele and what he's been able to do with this program, his defensive mind, and just what impresses you about the way he shaped this defense. So as far as Derek goes, I think um, you really nailed it saying he's a generational player. You see a guy with those physical traits, the leadership ability, you know, to be that big and that athletic and talented, and to make some of the plays down the field and really his effort. I mean, you can see his talent the second he walks out there on a snap, pushing big guys around, yeah. jumping over people, making plays. It's him running sideline to sideline and, and running running backs down on screens that always impressed me about him because it's, it's so easy as a defensive lineman to kind of get caught in the trenches and get kind of tired and think, all right, well, I'm probably not going to catch that little guy, so I'm just going to kind of, jog it a little bit down there and look like I'm giving effort. But he seemed to go after it every time he would catch those guys, he'd run them down. And the the thing about that is, and it transitions to Kevin Steele, that's that's leadership that is natural in a lot of people, but also coached. And, uh, you know, you really have to inspire your guys to play that way. And when the best guy on the team, the best guy on the defense is playing like that, you know, everybody else has to step it up because – whether you want to admit it or not, talent kind of gives you some some levels to, to put some different efforts out there at different times. And if he's going full speed, by God, you better – if Derrick Brown's going full speed, you better be going full speed too and giving all your effort because that guy's above you on the pecking order. So that really kind of sets the tone. And I think, you know, that comes from Kevin Steele and Rodney Garner and Coach, you know, Travis Williams and that whole coaching staff is – you know, great guys, a lot of them have playing experience and have been around coaching a long time. And I think Kevin Steele's done a great job of coaching those guys up from a mental side. I think um, defensively, a lot of times we think of it as just being, you know, physical side of the game. You need to be fast and strong and athletic. And, you know, we all know you put your most athletic people at defensive end and the best-looking ones at strong side end. Right, Jason? Hey, yeah, yeah. that's what they say. <laughs> That's what they say. But, so, I mean, I think he's really done a great job of, throughout the years of having those guys be mentally sharp and really play smart football, and that can set you apart. Now, this year I think we've got a lot of new guys, a lot of young guys that are learning the game still on the fly, and that's tough. That's tough when you're playing a really talented team like Georgia. That's tough when you're playing in the slot like we did against Arkansas. And at times, you can kind of get caught in your own head of, I just don't want to make a mistake. And if you're playing out to make mistakes and you're one of two or three guys on the defense, that's okay. Uh, because the other guys are probably talent, more talented and they're probably making plays like Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson. But when you've got a lot of new guys and a lot of them are playing not to make mistakes, 
sometimes you can almost get caught just sitting on a block or just getting in the way and not fully committing to making a play um, and trying to make a difference. And, and that might be what we're seeing some now. It's just guys that aren't quite experienced enough to know exactly when to trigger or how to make a how to make the play, and they're almost worried about making a mistake. So I look for that to improve, uh, you know, significantly over the next couple of weeks as those guys get more practice time, more experience, and more comfortable with each other in the system. Um, with defense, a lot of it too is not just knowing what to do, but just kind of not so much thinking about what you're doing, but think about what the offense is going to do. Right. So if you can know your job just internally without having to think about it, you can walk up to the line of scrimmage and look over there and look at down and distance, look at the formation, look at the, the personnel that they have in there. And you can chop it down to two or three plays. And once the ball is hiked, the guy in front of you moves or the guy you're reading moves. And you typically know what the play is, and you can just run to it and try to make the play. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're up there thinking, all right, my job is to – do X, Y, or Z, then you're definitely not thinking about what the other team's doing. And you're just going to be, you know, maybe a step slower or a step more timid than you would be otherwise. Yeah, Brett, when you think about what happened, that's a great point. You know, gave us the whole defensive strategy breakdown. I didn't know you was paying that much attention back in the day. <laughs> I thought you just actually just watched the guy in front of you, but you, know, you really paid attention. So did you know that that was considered a lateral after he formed the ball and spiked it behind him? Or did you think it was intentional grounding? Because a lot of people don't know. And as a defensive player, you're always taught to go jump on the ball regardless of the situation because you just never know. And at that time, Arkansas didn't recover the ball immediately. So that was the reason that they wasn't able to to maintain mm-hmm. possession. That's why we got the opportunity to kick the field goal. What's going through your mind in that situation if you are a defensive player and you're in that type of atmosphere and the ball is running on the ground do you jump on it or because you hear a whistle do you just immediately stop well I think everybody's going to be coached differently moving forward off that play I think every team in the country has probably watched that a few times and everybody's reiterated their players you know I don't care if they blow the whistle you go get that ball so you know when I saw it live I thought "Uh uh-oh he spiked it behind him I did not know that was intentional grounding I thought they were just called a lateral DJ Williams could have easily run over and grabbed the ball or dove on it. So I get it. Everybody's mad because the Arkansas guy, after two Auburn guys could have gotten it, the Arkansas guy jumped on it. DJ Williams could have gotten it. Somebody, I think Shedrick Jackson was the other one, could have gotten to the ball for us easily. So I'm not too worried about that. Um, yeah, as a defensive player, you definitely go after that ball if you think it went backwards. Usually in those positions, <laughs> whether it was a victory kneel or a spike ball, I was kind of in a not in a great mood, so I would fire off and just try to hit the guy in front of me pretty hard anyway. And so I think one of the Arkansas guys did that, and that kind of caused a little bit of that issue. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, when I saw it, I thought, uh-oh, he threw it behind him. I saw them blowing the whistle and kind of waving it off. And to my brother's credit, he's a, he played basketball at Arkansas. He's a big Arkansas guy. He started immediately texting me and a group of our friends, um, the Patty Todd uh, crew, about um, – the rules and I had no idea my brother was a rules expert in uh, college football but apparently he is and so he um, he was texting us about all that and I kind of just wanted to say like look it it got blown dead so it's, you know yeah he did throw it behind him they did flag it but it's a dead ball yeah so yeah I mean I think it's going to be coached differently moving forward I think uh, quarterbacks defensive players running backs everybody is going to be told you know you go get on that ball unless it is definitely spiked in front of him cleanly. Um, as a quarterback, would you rather get it from the center to spike it or shotgun to spike it? 
Uh, I always like to get it from the center. You in shotgun, if you spike it, you know, it's um, you almost I feel like you lose yardage. But and anything can happen when you shotgun snap it. The ball can slip out of the center's hand. He can snap it over your head. It can snap it too low. It's just too much risk involved. When you're under the center, you kind of just get the ball. You just spike it really quick. So, and it saves, I think, it saves you half a, saves you a second. And uh, it's a great question because I said, I, I was telling guys this week, I said, this is a great teaching tape. I said, every coach and even professional coach is going over that play this week. Yeah. I said, because he fumbled the ball. And we fumbled the ball, I think both kind of panicked. And like, yeah. oh, I don't Definitely. know what to do real quick. So then I just turn and just spike it. And when you turn and spike it, in his head, he's not thinking like, oh, I just laddered the ball. And mm-hmm. so a lot of coaches are going over this because there's two things involved. Because you fumbled the ball, you picked it up, and you spike it, you're not outside the pocket. So now it's, it could have been called in, you know. Um, See, I didn't know the fumble rule there. To pick right. it up and spike it, I, I thought I didn't realize that was intentional grounding. So that was no right. Thing. So it's intentional grounding because he's not outside the pocket because he fumbled the ball. If he doesn't fumble the mm-hmm. ball, okay, he kills the ball. It's this legal. But once he fumble it and he does that, okay, it's intentional grounding. But then number two, he turned his body and spiked it behind him, which made it a lateral. So now that is a live football. And mm-hmm. no matter if, even though they blew the whistle. The rule is they blew the whistle, but if the ball was immediately recovered by either us or a different or opponent, the ball would be given to whoever reco- recovered the ball immediately, even though the whistle had blown. So those yeah. are, that's why they always say play through the whistle when it comes to a live ball because you just don't know because they can reverse oh, yeah. that call even though he blew the whistle if it was immediately recovered. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this thing up. Just a couple more questions for you. Want to get your input on this defense right now, what they need to do moving forward. Obviously, this past week without K.J. Britt, certainly a guy that you miss having out there. But Arkansas was able to put up 437 yards on us. We saw what a difficulty it was against a team like Georgia, and there will be tough challenges down the road as well. Honestly, it kind of feels like defense across the SEC just doesn't have the formula figured out. Alabama couldn't get it together against Ole Miss either. So kind of a unique year makes you wonder how the unconventional offseason affected kind of the, the defensive unit. But if you're looking at this Auburn offense as a whole, really feels like the secondary is maybe where the struggles lie. But overall, what are you seeing from this defense right now? And what adjustments would you like to see as they continue this SEC stretch? Yeah, I think we've seen some really good stretches of them playing well. It's just getting off the field on third down sometimes. Yeah. It's um, Yeah, I think against Arkansas, they just called a really good offensive game. Several times on third and long, they called just the right play against a blitz or just the right play against a, you know, a certain coverage. So give them credit for that. Um, I think you're just going to, like I said earlier, you're going to have to get healthy first off because right. you got some guys that are dinged up or out that had experience, had a lot of playing time, were going to be leaders, and they're out now. And so guys that maybe were going to get some playing time are getting a lot, and they're having to step up in tough spots. And it's not so much the physical rigor of it. It's a lot of it is just that mental and emotional comfort level that you can go out there and the di- the coordinators can call all the plays. They can do what they want. And those guys are going to step in and not miss a beat. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you get it dialed back there. I think get healthy. You know, we've got to get um, a, a better pass rush. I think we're kind of getting out of the middle of guys. And part of that may have just been the George got up on us. They had their whole, you know, 
playbook to, to call, and so you're kind of guessing. You're not really getting them in passing downs. And pass rushing and slop is pretty much all those guys look like me out there just going down the middle of somebody. So it's really tough when a big guy gets his hands on you and wet turf to, to really do much. So I think we'll see improvement there. And then coverage in the back end, some of it is just, you know, I think, like you said, you're seeing it across the SEC. You're seeing, you know, these offenses be able to dial up plays against defensive backs and coverages that didn't have a spring to practice. It had a weird preseason and probably a weird, you know, preparation week. So you're kind of seeing them picking a lot of different groups apart across the SEC. And I would expect to see that pendulum kind of slowly start to swing back toward the defense as the season goes. So I think we'll see improvement in all those areas. I think with K.J. Britt out, you've got to have somebody like Owen Popo or another guy step in to kind of be that that Mike linebacker alpha that's calling a lot of stuff out, leading people and, and, and kind of directing traffic for those guys. And I think you'll see somebody step up in that role over the next couple of weeks very, very cleanly. We've got a great coach in Travis Williams for the linebackers and, and a good group of kids there. So – I expect to see that improve uh, in short order, and you know, no week like this week. Yes, you know, South Carolina is a good team, well-coached team with some guys that Jason and I know well. So I expect it to be a, a a good physical game. But I think we'll we'll execute on the defensive side of the ball, play 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 a little bit better, and then hopefully get out of get out of there with a win. Excellent points. I completely agree with you. And it seems like this week would be a great opportunity for them to do that. A daytime game against South Carolina, a team that has not beaten us since 1933. Fun fact. So we will see what the Tigers are able to put together this week. Brett Eddins, thank you so much for joining us here today. It was great to hear from you. Thank you, guys. War Eagle, have a great week. War Eagle. Appreciate it, Brett. All right, everybody, that will do it for us this week on Believe in Everything Auburn. Thank you so much for listening and following along. That's what the Auburn family does, am I right? So go ahead and hit that subscribe button if you're listening to us in the podcast app. Make sure you check out the Believe website. Thank you so much for listening. Everyone have a great week. Hopefully we are able to join up next week and talk about another win. So until then, War Eagle. Guys, just remember, life is all about how you respond, whether it's in defeat or victory. There's always a lesson to be learned. Will Auburn respond this week? We will find out. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.